0: smashing the plateau. I'm David Schreiner-Khan with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a long career as an employed professional.
1: My belief system rests on this premise, that you can do really, really good work in a damaged system.
0: Today on episode 115 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with the founder and CEO of the Dream School Foundation, Dina Grushkin. Following a 36-year career as a public school teacher, Dina is continuing her love for education as a humanitarian educator running the Dream School Foundation, a nonprofit organization she founded 18 years ago. It may sound like an easy transition, but there were significant risks Dina needed to feel confident she could overcome. Stay with us to hear all the details. I believe everyone should have the opportunity to do what they love and get paid what they're worth. On my podcast, I've interviewed hundreds of successful entrepreneurs, many of whom run consulting or coaching businesses. And we've created a free ebook with 49 actionable steps from 49 of our popular episodes to help you smash the plateau in your business and your life. It includes tips to help you with your mindset, relationships, business development, and productivity. You can get your copy of 49 Tips to Smash Your Plateau at smashingtheplateau.com tips. That's smashingtheplateau.com tips. Now let's welcome Dina Grushkin. Following a 36-year career as a public school teacher, Dina is continuing her love for education as a humanitarian educator, running a nonprofit organization she founded 18 years ago. The Dream School Foundation supports public education in Nigeria with infrastructure and resources to teach and learn. Dina, welcome to the show.
1: Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: It's great to have you on. When did you end your teaching career?
1: Three years ago, a 36-year teaching career. I'm a special educator. I've taught in middle schools and high schools for that period of time.
0: That's a long time.
1: It's a long time. It went... uh, I don't know. I guess quickly, you know. I look back on it and I and I think about all the places I've taught and all the kids I've had, and you know, it was a remarkable career. Remarkable. I loved every minute of it. Well, almost every minute of it.
0: <laughs> well, that is remarkable because yeah. not everybody says that about their career.
1: Yes, that's true. You're right. You're right. Yeah.
0: Many many people they kind of get into a pattern and they stay that way because um, there's, there's momentum. There's um, the thought of change seems more daunting than putting up with stuff they don't like.
1: Certainly. Well, I taught in a lot of different schools. I moved around a bit, you know, which is, um, you know, I think a good thing for a teacher to experience different schools, different environments, different populations of kids. So, you know, I've been pretty lucky and, you know, it's a job that uh, you're learning, always learning and you're always laughing for sure.
0: <laughs> that, that is for sure. And when did you start the Dream School Foundation?
1: In 2004, I was very, very fortunate to be able to travel to Nigeria. I had no intention of starting an organization, but I had the opportunity to travel there. And I come from an artistic family and I figured, oh, my goodness, you know, I can live out my photographic dreams. So uh, I asked my school district if I could go raise some money because I didn't want to go empty handed. I visited some schools and I just was so blown away by the kids and the teachers that I met. And I uh, was able to do some good things with the money that I raised for that particular trip. And on my plane ride home, I said, you know what? This feels really, really good. I said, I want to keep doing this. And that's basically how it started.
0: Well, opportunities are often unanticipated.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So you were doing, you were doing actually two major activities simultaneously for a long time.
1: For a long time, yes. You know, I had a, a very, very, you know, rich teaching career, which required lots of, obviously, work and attention. And then I was doing what I call the side gig, you know, which is a full-time job in itself. But, you know, I may I managed it. I managed to make it work. And, um, you know, it gave me a great deal of joy. I, I come from a family of, of worker bees, I'm used to, you know, working into the night, working on weekends. So this was, and, and I'm doing something I love, you know? And so it was, everything was, it was easy. I don't want to say easy, but it was manageable mm-hmm. and easier at times than others, certainly.
0: Uh, Dina, at what point did you decide that you would, you would transition from full-time teaching into full-time running the Dream School Foundation?
1: Well, I always knew I re- would retire, Right and i had put in my time in terms of you know being eligible for my full pension so i figured this was around the corner for me but i did plan it you know i had become single and i knew that i needed to create something for myself uh, an income for myself beyond teaching uh, you know i was a little too nervous to go out there on my own i knew i wanted to have something in place so i originally thought that i would look for a job in the nonprofit sector even after creating this large or you know organization. And I started to do that. And then I realized, you know what, why don't I just stick with what I have here? And um, I created a job for myself, a paying job out of this uh, humanitarian work. So I was able to leave comfortably and, uh, you know, take a chance, so to speak. I mean, um, you know, I'm not contracted, but, you know, I am earning a salary. So um, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. So I felt, you know, let me dedicate my time to something that I really, truly love. And so that's what I'm up to now.
0: And what was it about the transition that felt like you were taking a chance?
1: Well, you know, when you're, I was in a tenured teaching position, so there was a guarantee to that. I knew I was doing a good job and I wasn't going to lose my job. You know, I had guaranteed, you know, I had guaranteed income for as long as I chose to. So here I am, you know, taking a bit of a risk, you know, and giving that up. And you know, earning, but with no guarantee for next year, so to speak. So it was a bit of a risk for me. As I said, you know, I'm taking care of myself, my two dogs. So um, it was a bit of a risk. But you know, I also believe very strongly in um, you know, good things happen to good people. So sometimes good things, bad things happen to good people too. But I, you know, I have this just this optimistic attitude that it'll all work out. And it has been. It's all worked out so far.
0: Yeah. And what worked really well about the transition?
1: Well, I was able to give myself completely to it. You know, I had these dreams of what I wanted to do with the organization, and I wasn't really able to do that when I was teaching. So what I did basically was I I was doing most of my organizational work from here. So about a year into my before I retired, I set up the foundation in Nigeria. So I hired three people to work it for me, so that I knew that I had an organizational structure in Nigeria that I could really start to roll out the kinds of programs that I was interested in. So I set that up so that by the time I left teaching, I knew that um, there was a lot of work to take care of and get to, and get started, and uh, and continue and work on.
0: Right Getting the team assembled and finding the right team members mm-hmm. is one of the biggest challenge of getting an organization off the ground.
1: It certainly is. Well, you know, sometimes I ask myself, am I doing this right, you know <laughs> simply because it's very much of a family. And you know, when you hire family, you know, that always can get complicated. But basically what happened was I ended up hiring the students that I gave the initial scholarships to in 2004. So at that time, they were 14 years old and 15 years old. So these are young people that I sort of put through school, uh, that the organization put through school, and now they're running the foundation. So, you know, they are employees, but they're they're my kids as well.
0: Right. But it also means that they embody the culture of the organization.
1: There's no question about it.
0: Because they come through, it, and that's one of the most important things for team members to be successful.
1: Absolutely. I mean, this is a team that runs so effectively and so efficiently, and they are so just dialed into me. You know, now I have to tell you that, you know, with that, you know, because it causes some, ch- no, I don't, want, I don't want to say challenges, but, you know, when you're working for your mom, Basically, which it feels like sometimes, I think for them, speaking up, sharing opinions, you know, taking initiative, all of those things, I still feel like I'm sort of in the driver's seat, and I'm trying to like turn that over, and um, you know, that takes that takes time and practice, no question about it. But you know, we work we work extremely well together,
0: and I'll bet all of your years of teaching experience is embodied in. Your leadership style and and how you try to encourage your team members to take charge.
1: No question about it. You know, teaching is a skill that just crosses every parameter. You know, it's uh, invaluable. And so not only, you know, am I, do I get to use those skills with them, but I also get to continue to teach, you know, which is one of the beautiful things about this project is that, which is so exciting for me, is that I am continuing to write and develop and create. And, um, you know, see some really remarkable things happening. So I'm, I'm very, very excited. Every day brings something just you know, exciting.
0: I'll bet it does. Yes, it does. Dina, what have been some of the unanticipated surprises as you've made your transition and built this organization?
1: Well, I work in a challenging country. You know, I say Nigeria and people, their eyes open and they've got, always got lots of questions for me and I can always anticipate what those questions are, but it is a challenging place, a challenging place to live. It's a challenging place to work. It's a challenging place to really, you know, achieve what you want to, what your dreams are all about. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why I landed there and why I stayed there. But, you know, I mean, I've had, you know, I'm a school builder. So, you know, what are all the problems that come with school building? you know, money distribution, you know, people carrying out, you know, things in a timely manner, being effective, being efficient. You know, I've had um, all kinds of challenges along the way. But, you know, I, I see them as temporary roadblocks that we work through and passed. And, and uh, you know, things continually come up. I work within the system, which is, I think, a very significant piece of of, of how we do our work. I am not a private school teacher i'm a public school teacher i believe that governments are responsible for educating their kids so when the schools are built we turn them over to them you know but we of course have to keep our hand in it make sure that things are running smoothly but I, i'm very proud to say that i've never ever paid one teacher's salary and and that's a really positive thing so you know my whole my belief system rests on this premise that you can do really really good work in a damaged system, which is, you know, what we're working with and in a healthy system.
0: Wow. So talk a little bit about some of the things that you've accomplished.
1: Oh, gosh, so many. Well, so when I first started, I sort of attached myself to, you know, a bunch of schools where I was able to go in and bring te- uh, visiting teachers to teach. And that was pretty cool. We were able to do all kinds of things from, you know, bring reese books and, and build furniture and create libraries scholarships, uh, pens and pencils, simple stuff like that, medical supplies for the school nurse. And then I had this incredible opportunity to go out and visit an area because I was uh, trying to get a picture for a friend of mine who was doing a project there in a remote Riverine community. And there was a sprinkling of primary schools there, but there was no secondary schools, junior and middle, uh, junior, which is a middle school and uh, high school, secondary school. So when I was out there taking this picture, someone heard I was there, someone of royal descent, um, I always loved this story, and he came and found me and brought me out to this piece of land and stretched out his arms and asked me, can you build us a school? And um, I, uh, when I tell that story, people say, come on, Dina, like, he really stretched out his arms, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I actually have a picture of it, So I'm very proud of that. And I said, okay, and I went back and I found the funding and... And now we have a junior secondary school, a senior secondary school, a teacher residence, because it's such a challenging area to get to. We wanted to make sure that we had continuity of instruction. We got to have teachers there to teach the kids. And then we built a security wall around it. And now we have about 2,000 kids in school there. And uh, they have been doing so well and recognized by the Ministry of Education. They were actually rewarded with solar power. So for a hot minute, we were feeling like Ben Franklin in Nigeria. It was pretty exciting. Now uh, we have four schools. The coolest part for me about, you know, closing the circle, because I'm always thinking about that, you know, how do we close the circle on all this? You know, the last two schools were built two years ago during COVID. They're going to be commissioned to be opened this year. They were built by Suru, this young man that I shared with you uh, from the beginning of our Conversation. This fourteen-year-old boy, who's now thirty-one, he might be thirty-two, and he is the contractor for the schools, and he built two magnificent schools in Bedagri, uh, another riverine community, you know, a bit down the road. So that will open, and we'll we'll have more kids in school. So that is certainly a magnificent accomplishment. I have uh, organizations got seven kids in school in Nigerian schools, and one student in Haiti. I have a student in Haiti as well that we're really, really proud of. And you know, we're trying to do programs in schools. Uh, we do health literacy, we do a girls' empowerment group, we run a social entrepreneurship program for those kids who are not college-bound. Try to bring some, you know, solve environmental problems and you know, raise the economy in that particular area by teaching these kids this handicraft. We just finished this training. So we're always looking for ways to support the schools support the kids, and get these kids educated.
0: Well, congratulations on everything you've you. achieved, both personally making a transition that can be very challenging, creating a successful organization and impacting the lives of so many people that really need it. What what resources have you found helpful when you have reached an unexpected plateau and can't seem to break past it?
1: Oh, <sighs> what kind of resources? Well, you know, I don't, Oddly enough, it's a. Str- and I don't want to say it's a strange question. I mean, it's a good question. I don't really look at it that way. You know, when something comes to my table, I research it extensively and I decide whether this is something that is feasible for us. You know, I decide whether this is a sustainable project. Obviously, whether we have the resources to, you know, fund it. I talk to a lot of people and then, well, I talk to, I don't don't want to say I talk to a lot of people. I talk to the right people and then we try to initiate it. But I really haven't had too many dilemmas about, you know, things that we do. And I'll tell you why. Simply because I I have this, this philosophy about depth, not breadth. And I think that's been extremely helpful to us along the way. If it's not educationally related, then we don't even take a look at it. If it's a program that we do in the schools that we feel that the students can benefit from, then we consider it. But we keep it very small and we go deep with it. So we run a program and then we run follow-up programs. And you know, we just make sure that whatever we're doing has a lasting effect, that we're sinking roots. So everything that I consider, you know, I'm analyzing for those, you know, for that kind of rollout, for that kind of structure to make sure that things that we achieve, that we don't waste our money, we don't waste our time, our effort, and that we have something that can live past us. That's really important.
0: That's actually really smart. Many people who start something new cast a wide net because they're not sure what is going to work. And when you cast a wide net, you end up being way too diffuse. And it's also much more challenging to get support whether it's marketing to new customers or trying to trying to raise money for for a nonprofit, or whether you're trying to to actually create impact if you're if you have a narrow focus and go try to go deep it's actually way easier it seems counterintuitive to many people
1: it's just the opposite for me you know i want to know at the end of the day that um, what we're doing is directly going to those kids directly directly impacting the teachers and all surrounding public education. Uh, you know, I can't tell you how many people reach out to me in the private sector. And um, trust me, the need is great in the private sector as well. But I'm really interested in the kids who don't have even that opportunity and servicing them. That's incredibly important to me.
0: So what I'm hearing is that you are you have a lot of practice in saying no, when
1: yeah. well. <laughs> um,
0: other potential opportunities come knocking at the door?
1: Well, either I'll say no or I'll figure out how to make it work, you know, for us, you know. I mean, you know, that's the bottom line. You know, I'm working with an a, uh, organization now that is getting frustrated in the public school system and doesn't want to go through the ropes of the public school system, and they want it. So I have to let it go and let them go. Not because I don't think they're doing great work. They are. But this is where we are. This is where we are. We're in the public sector. We're going to stay there. So, yeah, it was tough. It's, it was a, it's a big organization. But um, I can't, you know, I got to stay where I, where I know we're needed the most.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's really important. Dina, as as things progress, where do you see your own future in this?
1: it's oh, a great question. You know, when I started the Foundation on Ground, the intention was that I was going to step back because I really truly believe that this organization should be run by Nigerians. Right? So I do a lot of networking inside the country and I'm I'm always connecting trying to connect people as best as I can. That's that is a great tool for me. You were asking me about resources. Networking is like in the top 3 for me. I talk to everybody. You never know what you have for them and what they have for you. Right. So in terms of me, You know, I, I, you know, the dream was to back off and let, and and I still think that's, I think, I still believe that's going to happen, but we're really still in like this very interesting phase. We're really in kind of space two, where we're really sort of developing and growing. So, you know, I need to keep my hand in it. I want to keep my hand in it, but you know, the dream is to eventually, you know, walk off into (laughs) into the sunset and let these kids who are no longer kids, but I still call them kids because they're mine really take over and they have been remarkable you know in, in what they've done so far so you know that's the hope but uh, you know I'm like I said I'm a worker bee I'm not you know I'm, I, I love to be busy I love to be creative I love to travel so you know as long as I can you know i'm gonna I'm gonna be there and um you know I have i have dreams of of traveling there forever um, as long as I can Ugh, whenever that will be again you know,
0: hopefully soon, hopefully Hopefully
1: soon. soon, Yes. But you know what? It's remarkable what, you know, I did more this past year than I've done in 18 years.
0: I think that's true for a lot of people. Yes. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the shift has certainly had its challenges and, um, it's a huge health crisis. However, people have found uh, space to do things that they may have thought about for a long time as a result.
1: No question about it. No question about it. Yeah. It's been a devastating time, but it's also been a very transitional time as well. And good things have come out of it. I almost hate saying that because it's been so hard, you know, but we're only moving forward. So that's how, you know, so yeah, uh, this is, uh, this is my gig forever.
0: Well, sounds great. And again, congratulations on on everything you've achieved. Thank you. We've discussed um, some interesting topics related to your transition and how you've built the Dream School Foundation. If someone wants to go deeper with anything we've discussed today, learn more about your work or get in touch with you, where would be the best place for them to go?
1: Well, I'm all over social media and Facebook, Dream School Foundation, Instagram, Dream School Foundation, If you want to contact me through my organization, you can contact me at nigeriadsf at gmail.com. You can check out my website, Dream School Foundation. That would be great for you to see all the projects we do and all the magnificent, beautiful young people we serve. And then, of course, if you want to contact me personally, you can do that as well. So that's grushkin at gmail.com.
0: Sounds great. We will include these in the show notes. Dina, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. My guest has been the founder and CEO of the Dream School Foundation, Dina Grushkin. Thank you again, Dina, for joining us.
1: Thanks so much, David.
0: When you visit the Going Solo website, you'll find a summary of each episode, along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today, we learned how you can turn your side project into post-employment impact and much more. I believe everyone should have the opportunity to do what they love and get paid what they're worth. On my podcast, I've interviewed hundreds of successful entrepreneurs, many of whom run consulting or coaching businesses. And we've created a free ebook with 49 actionable steps from 49 of our popular episodes to help you smash the plateau in your business and your life. It includes tips to help you with your mindset, relationships, business development, and productivity. You can get your free copy of 49 Tips to Smash Your Plateau at smashingtheplateau.com tips. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash tips. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.